Hi everyone, <laughs> welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe for episode 7, I can't believe it, episode 7, this is so cool. Um, I hope everyone's had a great, great week and a great weekend and uh, you're uh, safe and happy and just enjoying yourself, enjoying the moment. I have some more of that, I'm almost done the Save, the save on Foods brand coffee that I had I've been drinking it for the last uh, month or so is it which is actually pretty good it was a decent sized bag I, I kind of like to get the big bags just because it's a bit more economical but once that's finished I'm thinking about starting to try out different coffee from independent coffee shops as where I live in the Pacific Northwest it's there's tons of cafes all over the place and you know you got your like your standard, uh, like the 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 chains, the coffee chains like Starbucks and uh, Tim Hortons and wa Waves and Blends, um, and they're pretty good. I mean they're not too bad either. But I like to try and support local uh, coffee shops. So I'm gonna try, you know, just maybe explore the neighborhoods a little bit and try some different uh, some local coffee from different. Uh, coffee houses and, uh, and coffee shops all over the uh, where I live. And uh, just for my moment of gratitude today, so I, I, um, I have a really cool story. It was from during the week or last week when I was on the bus. I had to go pick up my car from the dealership as I went and got it serviced. And I have forgotten my wallet. <laughs> I was just like, oh no, because like, I drove the car to the dealership. And when I got to the dealership, I decided that I would just take the bus home uh, just because it's easier. And But the thing is, is I don't live very close to the dealership. And when I got to the bus and I started looking for my wallet, I was just like, oh my god, where is it? No, like... Ah, you space cadet, you forgot the, your wallet. Like, why? <laughs> why do I do this to myself? And I asked the bus driver if I could... I told the bus driver what happened, and I asked him if I could just get a ride home. And uh, and he said, yeah, sure, no problem, and he gave me a ticket. And that was really nice of him. He didn't have to do that. Uh, you know, sometimes some bus drivers won't, you know, do... You know, they won't... I mean... Actually, you know, I, I, I think most bus drivers are pretty friendly, and I suspect other ones would have done that, and I'm just I'm grateful to have met a, a kind-hearted bus driver that day that was um, more than happy to give me a ticket so I could get home. Otherwise, it would have taken me... Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be impossible, but it would take a long time because it would be quite the walk. It would probably be... It would have taken at least... At least an hour to get home, and uh, and it was cold. You know, it's cold out. It's close to getting dark, so I just appreciated having a ride home, and I was very kind. And you know, I I appreciate small kind gestures like that. You know, and um, sometimes I wonder if I get caught up in the size <laughs> of the gesture, where it's just a kind, loving heart, whether it's from a a stranger or from our parents and friends like just or, or spouses like just how amazing and wonderful that feels 
you know, when someone extends kindness towards you. And, you know, it kind of relates, it kind of does relate to the story that I read, uh, the book that I read. And um, as promised last week, I, I said I was going to read the second book in Madeline uh, Ingalls' time, time series. Uh, the, it's called A Wind in the Door. Her first book was A Wrinkle in Time. And I read that a few shows ago, or I shared my thoughts about that book a couple of shows ago. And uh, you can find that in my previous podcast. Oh, and if you like this podcast, please hit and subscribe. I'm getting used to doing a little bit of self-promotion so that this podcast can grow. So if you are listening to this and you enjoy the podcast, please become a subscriber. That'd be great, as then more people would see the, the show and I could kind of build or we could build an audience. Um, and so if you don't mind doing that, it'd be much appreciated. And it's that appreciation and acts of kindness and love that uh, I think is one of the underlying themes of the book. And I'm not going to go into the themes just yet. I'm just going to kind of provide an overview and summary about what a wind in the door was about. I won't go into too, too many details because I think it would be great for you to read the book yourself. It's a wonderful book and it I'd say it's just as good as the first one. And I'm interested, I'm looking forward to reading the third, the rest of the books in the series. Uh, I don't have them just yet, but I'll, I'm sure if I you know, plan to go out to the bookstores over the next couple of weeks and I'll, I'll find, I'm sure hopefully if I visit that same used bookshop, that little magical moment where, um, uh, you know, I have a magical moment where I, all three of them are on the shelf, or at least the third one is on the shelf, or something cool like that. Because uh, that's what happened with this book. I went into a used bookstore, and I wasn't expecting to find a wind in the door. I just went to go and pick up a book that I previously ordered a few weeks ago. And, you know, a thought came to me, like, hey, why don't I just check to see if a wind in the door, if they have a copy of it. And I went into, it was in the children's or the young readers section. And I went into the section and lo and behold, it was right there. And I was just like, oh, no way. This has to be a sign. I need to read this book. And I'm glad I did. It's a really cool book. And, uh, I'm, and I'll get to um, kind of my thoughts and what I learned from the book in just a moment. Uh, before I do that, I'm just kind of going to go over what the story was about. And so the book begins, uh, it's uh, set just, they don't really give a chronological time as to when this book is, how far after this book is set from the first one, like how far apart those stories are. I don't think they're too far apart because, at least it doesn't feel that way, but uh, when the book begins, uh, our favorite characters come back, so Meg... Uh, Calvin, Charles, her brother Charles Wallace, the the Murrays, Mr. and Mrs. Murray, uh, Meg's twin brothers, uh, Sandy and Denny, they come back, and then there's a few other recurring characters that come back in the show, or sorry, not the show, they come back into the book, and uh, and it's really cool just seeing the continuation of the characters as they develop through the story. And what happens is that uh, the book begins with Charles Charles Wallace is now going to school. 
So he's in grade one, and uh, he's going to the same elementary school that Meg went to. And now she's in uh, either mi middle school or high school. And so Charles Wallace is beginning uh, first grade. And unfortunately, he's not off. He's kind of off to a tough start. He's getting, uh, because Charles is a bit, he's kind of different. He's, you know, he thinks differently. If you've read the first book, you know that he's very, he's got a lot of empathy. He can read up on, he picks up on people's emotions. Uh, he may even have a little bit of telepathy, but definitely a lot of empathy. And he's a very, just a very bright uh, little boy. He's, it's easy for him to pick up complex topics and for him to understand something like uh, what the mitochondria are, and I'll get to that in a minute. And he just has a very bright mind, and he's a very kind soul. Like, he's very kind and loving towards his sister, towards his mother and his brothers. He's a, you know, he's a gentle soul. And, you know, he kind of, I've, I kind of picked up on that in the first book. And in the second book, you know, it kind of, the theme continues to develop. And so we see him struggling with school because he doesn't understand why people are picking on him. And unfortunately, there's not much Meg or Mr. Jenkins, who's the principal. And he, Mr. Jenkins was also in the first book, and he was Meg's principal at the time, but he switched schools, so now he's Charles's uh, principal. And, and Meg does try and ask him to look after Charles Wallace, like to look out for him and stop the bullying, but... Mr. Jenkins is like, I don't know, there's not much, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And, you know, and at first, his rela the relationship between him and Meg is pretty, I'd say it's pretty cold. Like they don't really have a very high opinion of each other. And it, it's really interesting how that changes throughout the story. And so because Charles is having a struggling in school, like he's starting to learn and understand that in order to get through first grade, he's just going to have to learn to adapt, like to um, kind of curve who he is or try and like fit in, which is, isn't always easy for him because he doesn't understand why he has, or at least at first, he doesn't really understand why he has to do it. And then throughout the, but that's not the only problem that Charles is having. Um, Meg and Mrs. Murray uh, Charles's mother notices that uh, Charles is not looking too good. He's kind of looking a bit pale. He has shortness of breath, and he's noticed. She's noticed that Charles is starting to get sick. Both him and, or both Miss Murray and and Meg notice this, and they discover that uh, Charles Wallace's mag mitochondria is uh, and my. I don't know if anyone knows what mitochondria is, but if in biology, mitochondria, they're part of our cells, and the mitochondria are what supply energy to our cells so that we can, you know, move about and do do what we need to do, and the and then that is kind of what energy is, is the ability to do work, um, electrically speaking anyway. So his mitochondria are failing. It's called mitocarditis. Or carditis, and uh, he's not—he's starting to lose his energy. And you kind of notice that throughout the book, like he's having trouble just walking across a, a garden patch, or having troubles uh, getting home from school because he's just so tired. And uh, and he's also 
uh, along with him getting tired, he's also starting to see uh, dragons, and he's trying to tell Meg this. And at first, Meg thinks that maybe he's hallucinating a little bit, and she's not sure if they're real. But then um, Charles and, and Meg, they find some feathers. They find feathers by uh, some rocks in the, the in the pasture in the garden patch. And they notice that these feathers aren't like regular bird feathers. They're different. They're like, um, and so then because they're different, Meg starts to believe that, you know, maybe Charles really is seeing some dragons. And uh, we find out that they aren't, it isn't really so much a dragon as it is a, a I think it's pronounced uh, ch cherub. So they're called cherubim, or not cherub, but cherubim. And it's a cherubim, and it was sent to help Meg and uh, Calvin and, and Charles save Charles. And the cherubim, uh, the form that the cherubim takes does look very dragon-like, but it, he has um, a, lots of wings and beautiful eyes, and uh, he's, a, he's a being that was... a. Uh, one of the beings that accompanies the children throughout the story and helping them along their journey, and another being who's a teacher is uh, Blaney. Uh, apologies if I mispronounce his name. I, I think it, I think he's pronounced Blaney, uh, and he's a teacher, and so he's there to help Meg and uh, Calvin, and the the cherubim is called Proganowski. I'm going. But May calls him Prago for short, and I'm gonna use the same, the same name, uh, Prago, just because it's easier to pronounce. And uh, Blaney, Prago, Meg, and uh, Calvin, they are sent on a series of trials to save Charles Wallace. And what these trials involve is uh, stopping these um, beings, and these beings are called. Ekthroi, I think. Ekthros. Ekthros, sorry. They're called Ekthros. And these beings are, um, their sole purpose is to extinguish, extinguish creation. And that's one of the reasons why Blaney comes to Earth, because uh, he sh throughout the course of the story, he shows Meg that a number of stars and galaxies are going out. And... And Meg is shocked and horrified, and she doesn't understand. At first, she doesn't understand like how, how are, is the stars and galaxies going out connected to what's happening with Charles Wallace? Well, the Ekthros are also trying to extinguish Charles Charles Wallace's mitochondria, and they're trying to destroy it. And so, the what's going on in this in the universe in the skies is also happening on the micro level to Charles Wallace and to other beings as well. Like the Ekthros is not so much one being as it is like a, a whole collective of these dark beings that are going around and they're trying to turn creation into nothing. And they achieve this by unnaming something. And so the whole, the rest of the story involves Meg, Prago, Calvin, and Mr. Jenkins uh, going on a journey to save Charles and eventually they have to journey into Charles and journey all the way down into the small little micro world 
uh, that's his mitochondria, and they meet these beings called fer- Ferendoli. Ferendoli. Pa- apologies if I, if I mispronounce that, but the these Ferendoli are inside the mitochondria, and so they they're almost like the mitochondria is almost like their version of Earth, and so these little Ferendoli live there, and they're kind of described as these little like tree-like beings, and they. Uh, they're meant to uh, what's called deepen and so when they deepen they connect with each other and then they connect with the whole of the universe and they sing their song and the ekthros is trying to destroy that and the reason charles is so significant is because uh, blaney explained that sometimes the balance of the universe or the balance of what's going on between good and evil depends on one person and and that that one person is important and that and in this story it's charles um <coughs> and that's why you know especially meg who's the center of the she's the main protagonist i mean the other characters have important roles to play too uh but she's tasked with saving her brother and and she becomes a namer and what's really interesting is that the way that they defeat uh the the ekthros in this story is that meg names them she understands she starts to learn and this is a <clears throat> something that's kind of part of the story is that she starts to learn how we're all part of each other and we all kind of exist one another and so she learns that she too is part of the ekthros and the ekthros are part of her and because they are nothing she is reminded by both both mr jenkins and calvin that nature abhors a vacuum and, sh- and so she th- uh, fills the ekthros with love. And I don't mean like romantic love, I mean agape love, love for each other. And it's that fierce love that's able to stop the ekthros and save Charles Wallace. And, um, and the sad part is, I mean, they might hint that he comes back, I'm not sure, but Prago, um, the cherub, the, sh- the cherub, The cherubim, he saves her, and he, he saves all the children. He sacrifices himself in an act of love to save the children and to save Charles Wallace. And so, and it works. The Ekthros are defeated. I, I don't know if they'll come back in the following stories, uh, but for this one, they're defeated, and, and Charles Wallace, uh, he starts to, he begins to recover. And the story ends with both uh, Calvin and May going up to visit uh, Charles Wallace in his room to, you know, sp- spend time with him as he's recovering from uh, the Ekthros uh, attacking him. And that's pretty m- that that's pretty much summarizes the story. And I loved it. <laughs> I enjoyed reading this story so much, and it was just as good as the first book. And they kind of do. They don't really mention IT, the planetary computer in the first book but they kind of hint at the darkness and i don't know if the ekthros and the it from the first book are are related to each other uh they might be i wouldn't be surprised if that planetary brain was the uh, it was like the if it was the result of the ekthros doing like unnaming everything but um they do feel that t- kind of darkness enveloping 
the world and, and taking out stars and taking out planets, it was spoken about in the first book. So I, I, I wonder if they are, they probably are related, but I don't know if how, if IT itself was an Ekthros or if it was a different entity entirely. It didn't really talk about that in the book. Maybe, maybe that gets brought up in the future uh, in book three and four or book, sorry, book three, four and five, but um, it didn't really, didn't really talk about too much from the first book, but they did allude to, it was really kind of cool, it was like, there was a bit of a nod in the book to Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's-It and Mrs. Which, because uh, Blaney and Prago, they knew about Meg, like they knew about Meg and the children uh, from, their, they said, oh, some, some of our friends told us about you so I suspect that Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's-It and Mrs. Witch probably have spoken about Meg and Charles Wallace and uh, Calvin to other people or maybe other beings in the universe that are going through the same struggles and I, I thought that was really cool and what I thought was interesting about this book was the theme of the macro and the micro kept coming up and I don't know if how many of you are familiar with uh, the principle that I think it's the law of correspondence. Forgive me if I if I didn't get that right, but the the micro world, so the the world of the small, <coughs> and in a way, size is kind of relative. But if you want to think of micro as like just the little tiny little guys, like atoms, our thoughts, us. And then the, the relationship with the, mi the macro world, so the bigger kind of overall picture, the, the ma macro world being like society. I mean, you often hear, I don't know if you've, anyone's studied uh, in, in a business degree or studied economics, but it talks about in, in economics, there's the, the macro world and the micro world, or macro economics and uh, microeconomics. And then you also have the even with the the cosmos the universe you have the macro the big the big picture and but then you also have the world of the micro so the the bacteriums and and uh, the uh, protozoas and the little the little tiny guys that you can only see with a microscope but they're there um, and then of course there's everything in between and and even in this book you know that kept that being emphasized as size is relative and that, you know, to us, you know, we look up at the stars and we see a big, beautiful universe or, or galaxy or solar system. And then, of course, you know, if you look at a microscope, you see the micro world. Well, to a bacteria, and we have bacteria living on us and they're not all bad. You know, there's, they're there for, there are good bacteria and they're there for a reason to protect us, just, just saying. Uh, but to the bacteria that live on us, we're a galaxy in a way. Like, we're their galaxy and we're their world. You know, they, they exist on us and, you know, when we die, they die. Because those bacteria have grown up with us. They've been on us since we were little babies. Like, we have our own little microbiomes and our own micro worlds where our bacteria and ourselves and everything like that's not, that's all part of us like we're made up of little uh these little cells and they the cells grow and multiply and it's only when 
there's an imbalance, that we have a problem. But as long as things are imbalanced, then we, you know, we grow up and we go through the different cycles of life, and eventually we return to the earth. Uh, but those bacteria, they're they're part of us, and we're part of them. We're we're just as much as part of their world as they're a part of ours, and so. I, I really enjoyed that theme, and that theme was very present in this entire book um, because they kept saying that, you know, they had to change, they saved Charles Wallace by going into the micro world, right? They didn't right away go for the big macro, you know, travel the universe and, and fight bad guys. They went into the micro world, and they confronted the ethos there. And that kind of reminded me of what's going on in the wider society, just with the, um, it's almost like the, this, like with the transhumanism and with uh, this push towards the fourth industrial revolution by the, the technocrats and the, <coughs> the nerd herd and the, the laptop boys or whatever word you want to call them. Like there is a, a, a push to, to put, to push all beings towards what I would consider to be that nothingness. I mean, really, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, it, they want us to be in this conformist, like, in the metaverse. It's kind of almost like the, the Borg from uh, Star Star Trek. Um, you know, you'll be assimilated, and you will have any... You'll own nothing and be happy, and you'll be assimilated into this really weird, weird technological world where we'll will become one with machines and we won't have individualities anymore. We won't have what makes us us. We will just exist as these automatons. At least that's their vision. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Um, and I don't want to talk about it being inevitable. I, I'd rather live in possibility. All I'm saying is that that's their, that's their vision. It doesn't have to be ours, but it reminded me when I was reading this book that that came into my mind like pretty it was at the forefront because it's almost is what they're doing was almost like an unnaming and it's like a taking and in, in the book the ichthros their reasoning behind extinguishing all life is that you know once you extinguish all life and once you unname everything and, and make it nothing there won't be any more wars there won't be any more poverty, and there won't be any more uh, sickness or anything like that. And But then Calvin, one of the main characters, uh, piped up and he said, well, then there's also won't be any more family dinners, and there won't be any more <coughs> going to the beach with friends and enjoying or looking up at the stars and, the, and seeing the universe and the heavens. Like There won't be any more of that either, and he's right. I mean, I don't know exactly what I mean gosh how would what would a human being be when we're if we're connected to this weird planetary computer that they want to put us on hi apologies I just stepped away for a few seconds I had like a horrible headache just come on and it lasted for a little while so apologies for the kind of the break in the podcast and what I was get, trying to get at before uh, the break was 
how the the powers that shouldn't be or the predator energy with the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset there and it feels like their intention is almost to like unname the world in a way you know to extinguish creation but to go even further than that and not only extinguish creation but then also become the creators it's like they want to go after um you know god the goddess universe the cosmos whatever whatever you would like to call it and in order to do that um they need to not only colonize the macro world but they also need to colonize the micro world which makes sense in terms of what's going on in the wider society with um and it's not just with you know the procedure it's also with uh bio the biosecurity um bio nano robotics uh the internet of bodies like it's not just um the internet of things and and if you're not familiar with the internet of things it's where like you know all those smart appliances and the uh amazon the uh, um ah there's that robot that amazon has i think it's like alexa or something and then there's a bunch of others where they're starting to put these um you know, smart devices that enable like, dishwashers and refrigerators to connect to the internet and talk to each other. And what they're doing is that they're also collecting data on you and they're taking it and storing it. And right now, the data, like they, it's not, they haven't reached interoperability with the data, meaning that um, it's not just all in one place. Like our our data, the data that we create with these devices and through being on the computer, it's still kind of scattered, like it's it's all over the place, so it takes a, lot, a little bit longer to gather all that data and create like a profile, but they're working on it. They're working on creating an interoperable system where it goes into these like data banks and then it becomes, uh, they can extract whatever they want and they could build a profile about on you, and that's uh, what they intend to do, and to use predictive analytic analytics to uh, like predetermine what your what your actions are going to be to collect data on that. So, um, and they're going to make a game of it. So they're going to have these funnels, these nudges that they want to they call it where they nudge you in a certain direction and kind of see what you do and then they collect that data and if you do <coughs> what they want you to do then you get like a little token or something you get like a token and then they they make money because they make money off of the data and that's what's coming and uh, there's a really good researcher her name's Allison McDowell and I've spoke to, spoken about her a few more a few times in other in previous podcasts uh, but she's done a number, a lot of research in this. I highly recommend checking out her blog, Wrenching the Gears. And so that this book, A Wind in the Door, and that sort of theme of unnaming and uh, trying to extinguish creation, it, 
reminds me a lot of what is going on in the wider society right now. I, like I said, I don't, I don't live in inevitabilities. I live in possibilities, and it's just it's being aware. It's not not so much to be so scared that we end up feeding this predator system our energy. It's just more so being aware of what's going on so we could choose something else. And and this is what's also in the book. It's like the a choice between love and hatred. And as soon as Meg chose to see herself, to come to the realization that the Ekthros are also just as much a part of her as she's a part of them. And as soon as she was, she figured that out, and then as, she, as soon as she realized that because they're nothing, like nature abhors a vacuum, and it will fill it with something. And so she's decided to fill it with love. And there's a power in that. And I remember there was one part of the story where I'm just kind of summarizing, but, you know, Meg and a few other characters were kind of lamenting about how there's a lot of darkness in the world right now, a lot of, like, evil. And, um, and you know, that was uh, kind of being influenced by the Ekthros, or kind of, you know, the Ekthros were like the, the, they're like pouring gasoline on the fire kind of thing to try and make it spread. And... Uh, but I can't remember who said it. It might have been Blaney or Prago, but they said to um, that yes, there is a darkness in the world, but you know there's still people that you know act from the kindness of their heart, and there's still people that love and who keep their word, and, and people who you know care about each other, and they they show up and and they. They do the best they can. And Prago was saying, be like them. Be the one that, that shows up and still um, you know, keeps the word. And, and the one that, that serves and looks after their families. And that, that loves their children or, and loves their, their spouses and their, their friends. They be, be that one. Even if so, everyone else isn't, just be like that. Just be the one that is. Be the one that is contrary to what the um, uh, be the one that's contrary to what the darkness wants. Because when it is true, when we be, when we find another way to be in the world, even if there aren't that many people that are like that, um, it holds open another possibility to like another way to be in the world and so even if people aren't you know maybe as kind as they could be well you can be kind you know you, you can learn to act from the goodness of your heart and that's what I'm trying to do and and it, that's one of the reasons why I really appreciate this book because the book kind of shows how important the micro world is as well as the macro I mean we may not be able to change things on a huge grand scale and as an individual but we can start within and when we start within I feel like that does have a, a vibration out to the bigger macro world because the two are connected so you know this book kind of made me really really 
self-reflect on my own thoughts and on my own, you know, how am I treating myself? Do I treat myself with love and respect? Do I face the parts that I may not necessarily like or do I try to avoid them? Because if I have a chasm between, you know, different facets of who I am, including the, the stuff that I really like and the stuff that uh, I might not like so much. If I have a gulf, if I have a chasm, if I treat myself with contempt, then how can I have a loving relationship with someone else? And I don't mean like just romance, like agape love. You know, if I can't look in the mirror and, and see how much I, like what I reflect back and how I love that person unconditionally, all my flaws, like it's just, it's part of who I am. And uh, how can I love the world? And then also, it's like, if I want to change, there's a, like Michael Jackson wrote a song called Man in the Mirror. And he's saying, if you want to make a change, look in the mirror. And it's true. I think if we want to change and, and create different paths other than the fourth industrial revolution, it really starts, it really does start within. And I, and I really do feel like it's a, a spiritual engagement that we're in right now because they have the material plane. I mean, they have money and they have land and they, they, you know, they have weapons and so on, but they don't have the spirit plane. And I don't think they ever will. They're going to attempt to try and take it, but they can't have it. It doesn't belong to them. And the highest vibration, they can't get there. And I think that that's perhaps where we can go on the inside. Like we turn inwards and we learn to begin to vibe high. Um, at least that's my thoughts. And I think this book is kind of met Madeline Engel with her, at least with these two books so far. I don't know about the other, the other three. I think that's kind of what she's trying to share with the reader as well. And so I just want to say that, you know, your thoughts, your feelings, who you are matters. It matters a great deal. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I, I feel that way about myself as well. Some, you know, like, you know, I'm just one person. How, you know, how much can I really do? But it's, we're all important, right? Especially at this time, you know, at this time in human history, it's more important you're more important than you ever know. And your kids, are, are the next generations are counting on us to uh, stand up for them, to stand up for all beings, not just human beings. And so your thoughts, everything, like they matter a great deal. You matter. And I think that's what this book was talking about, that we're all important. And we all have a place in this the universe. And we all have something to, to contribute. Uh, whatever that is, it's up to, that's, uh, you know, that's, it's going to be different for each person. But, you know, there's no no, ac no real accidents. There's, there's serendipity and um, synchronicities all over the place. And it, maybe it's just finding the synchronicities in your own life. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I've kind of been tapping into that over the last little while and it's changed a lot and it's just it's helped improve my own 
relationship with myself and just with the wider world around me. And so reading this a Window in the Door was, it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. I enjoyed it. And it's a lot of food for thought, especially for right now what we're going through in society. So I just want to leave off on that. I, I truly enjoyed this book. And I hope that if you're listening to this, you'll give this book a chance. Actually, you've even, and a wrinkle in time. Those two books that, you know, get yourself into the series because it, I mean, I'm enjoying the series so far. The characters are well written and, and very endearing. And just the the themes and just how it relates to what's going on. Again, I, want, I don't know if Madeline Engel had like some precognition or some, I know she was kind of reading Albert Einstein stuff when she wrote these books, but, um, there's a lot of parallels between what's going on in that those books and what's happening now. And I just find it very... Uh, I find it very helpful. You know, it's like a... It's like a guide within a story. It's kind of neat that way. And speaking on the theme of nothing, uh, for next week, I'm going to... I uh, Just to kind of cl- start closing off this uh, today's show, I got a, a book... The Never Ending Story, and it was a movie back at the, they made it into the, a movie back in the 80s, and it's probably one of my favorite movies, and I've been meaning to read the book um, for quite a while now, and now it, it's, uh, I finally have it, and I think I'm going to read it for next week, just because there is that theme of the nothing still, and um, I'm, ki- I'm kind of just going off what I remember from the movie, but the nothing, it was, um, and I think the movie, it wasn't actually, the the movie was only, the first movie anyway was just like, only was touched on in part of the book, like I think there's more to the story than just the first movie, Uh, but in the first movie, the nothing, it was, uh, the nothing was taking over in Fantasia, and it was destroying it and turning into to dust. It was, I think, it, I know it, it was intended to be a metaphor for depression. And I'm going to read it and do the same thing. Like, wonder, like, there's a lot of interesting wisdom and ideas and books and stories that I just can't get from TV. I mean, I can sometimes, but just not all the time. And I just, uh... So, uh, you know, I'll do the same thing where I just uh, read the, I'm going to read the never-ending story and kind of give a, a synopsis about what the book's about and then just uh, share my thoughts. I really enjoy that. I, I enjoy reading books and seeing what I can learn from them and, uh, you know, use that to help me in my own life. And then maybe there's something that's also helpful for the audience. Um Anyway, so I'm going to start signing off. My headache is kind dying down right now, which is nice. And so I'm just glad I was able to finish this show. It might have been, I usually like to publish this on Sundays, uh, but I think that just given with the headache, I'm going to just finish this off and then I'll probably publish it the following day when I'm feeling a bit better. Um, but I uh, appreciate y'all coming out and listening to my show. And I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you have any food for thought, please you know, feel free to contact me. Um, 
And if you liked what the what you heard, please uh, hit the subscribe button. And I right now I'm just kind of publishing one one show a week. And uh, if you enjoy the show, then you'll subscribe, and then you'll uh, get notifications when I uh, come up with further shows. Because uh, this is kind of a a running theme. I think this is important to talk about, especially the fourth industrial revolution. And and where we c and how we can choose a different path. So, uh, thank you, everyone, and I hope you enjoy your the rest of your weekend. And I hope you enjoy your uh, the week, the new week coming up, and just and enjoy some coffee. And uh, have a anyway, have a good night. And thank you all so much for coming out. Bye now. <laughs>